Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, Father, thank you that though our sin is great, your love is greater. Though we refuse to come to you as children, uh, dependent, needy, hungry, you, you remain and you continue to be Father. Give us your spirit now to help us to hear your voice and to trust every word you speak. Amen. Every political cycle, whether that's uh, in the United States or in Canada, um, there's an attempt to give the people hope. And yet this hope inevitably turns to a form of disappointment. Yeah, we all hope, or we're, they try to convince us to hope, maybe this candidate will be different. Maybe this political party will right the wrongs of the previous administration. Maybe they'll find a political solution to the woes that the last couple of years have brought to us. And of course, politicians and parties, they do their very best to stoke those fires of hope in us. They say, yes, we can. Whatever we imagine together, we can achieve together. We wonder, are these dark days that we're in, are they finally behind us? And the news candidate promises us sunny ways, my friends, sunny ways. Like Isaiah, uh, in a, like Israel in Isaiah's day, we long for rulers that will lead us justly, that, that will bring us out of darkness, that will lead us well. And like Israel... We have a new batch, a constant crop of rulers constantly promising us this hope, but again, inevitably disappointing us. It's interesting to see in Isaiah 9 that God's solution to bad rulers, bad governments, isn't abolishing rulers and kings and governments. Rather, he promises us here a radically different kind of king, leading a radically different kind of kingdom. One of the titles of this promised king is the everlasting father. You see that in, in verse 6, at the end of verse 6. The hope for a chronically disappointed people like us, like ancient Israel, is a king who is an everlasting father. Now it might seem odd to you, I've, I've already made the case that Isaiah is speaking of Jesus. It might strike you as a bit odd that Jesus, who is the son of God, is here being called everlasting father. And you might wonder, if you're up to date with your Christian theology in the last couple thousand years, isn't that a title reserved for God the Father? Uh, Christian belief has always believed that God is three persons in one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
Christians call God Trinity or the triune God of the Scripture. So, so what's going on here? That Jesus the Son is being called Everlasting Father. Well, it's important to note that, that these four titles that we see in Isaiah chapter 9, they describe not Jesus' relationship with his Father or with the Holy Spirit, but his relationship with his people, with the people that he comes for. So these, these titles, these four titles, they don't describe his, his place in the Trinity, but the quality of king that he'll be for his people. So the titles so far, if you look at them, they tell us he's a wonderful counselor for his people. He gets them. This is a king who has suffered just like his people. And as God with us, he can give us perfect wisdom, perfect guidance. He, he is the very source of light in their darkness. He's also the mighty God of his people. He's a hero to them. He powerfully rescues them from their enemies and the darkness inside of them. And so we should ask that question of this title, Everlasting Father. What does it mean for Jesus to be the everlasting father to his people? This would be a question that ancient Israel would wonder with every new king that would show up. Will this new king care for us as a father would, or will he just care for himself? Will this king finally act and protect us from our enemies and help us? Or will he be against us, a worse enemy than our external enemies? Will this king give, give our nation some sort of stability? Or will he just be here today, gone tomorrow? And really, at a, at a deeper level, these questions that, that Israel asked, that, that we ask, they're more pointed. For those who are suffering, for those who feel hopeless, there's a question behind the question, and, and it's this. Does God care for me? W will God finally act on my behalf? Or has he abandoned me? Is God for me? Or does this suffering and darkness demonstrate that, that he's abandoned me? For good. See, the title, Everlasting Father, is meant to give us incredible hope. Does God care? Will God finally act? Will God stay with us and be for us? The answer is yes. Jesus, unlike every other ruler, every other father that's come before, he will be an everlasting father to his people. And as an everlasting father, Jesus' rule in his relationship to his people is marked by three things. And, th and this is our outline for today, if you're into outlines. As the everlasting father, Jesus shows us everlasting favor, offers us everlasting freedom, and brings us into an everlasting family. So favor, freedom, and family. And so this is our first, our first point. Jesus, the everlasting Father, shows us everlasting favor. Uh, we've been, we, I think we've been fortunate as, as a young church to welcome in a bunch of new babies since we started about you know, three years ago or there's about. Uh, there's Rowan, there's Huxley, there's Walter, there's Hayden, Thomas has come somewhat recently. I'm sure there's some other buns in the oven. Uh, hopefully there's many more to come in the years to, years to go. But I'll, I'll be honest, of the recent crop of kids that have come in you know, the last three years or so in Halifax, there's one kid that's my favorite, and that's Jude. Not this Jude, that Jude. All right? Of, of all the recent kids, I love that guy the most. I'm, I'm not trying to start a fight, Walter. I hope we can still be friends. This isn't personal, okay? But there's something special about Jude. Something just, just really great. Something that the other kids do not have. Can you guess what it is? Jude's my kid. Jude is my boy. He is my son. 
And so this favoritism, I hope you can, you can indulge me, this is somewhat natural. Fathers naturally favor their own kids. And of course, it's not that I do not care about the other kids of Christ Church. I've had the joy of baptizing them. I pray for them regularly. I hope that I can serve them for the sake of their faith for as long as I'm able to. But Jude's my son. And listen, if you're a Christian, Jesus looks at you and says, that's my son. That, that's, that's my daughter. Jesus favors you like a father favors his own son or daughter. Look, look you're, you're not a name on a list. You're not another ant in the colony. Isaiah is saying that Jesus, the coming king, won't be some sort of a, a distant monarch, extending generalized but distant benevolence to his subjects from afar. No, he shows everlasting fatherly favor on his people. Do you have that sense of God's love for you in particular? Like when you come into worship, when you spend time reading the Bible, when you're in prayer, do you know that God says, that's my daughter, that's my son, I love that guy. The prophet Zephaniah tries to capture some of the enthusiasm that only an eternal, everlasting father can have towards his own children. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, uh, the prophet says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Zephaniah pictures God's love for us like, like, like a dad using all of his strength to protect and to care for his kids, to sing them a song to quiet them at night. See, the everlasting father favors his children with an everlasting favor. The adjective there, everlasting, in everlasting father, it modifies Jesus' fatherly care. So, yes, Jesus is everlasting. Yes, he's eternal as God. But this tells us that his care as a father to us will be everlasting. That's that, that he'll never cease to act towards you in a fatherly manner. Uh, his, his fatherly favor is everlasting. He's totally dependable. He'll always treat his children well, without fail. You can bank on it. Now, talking about this, I think, talking about fathers can be a difficult point for some people because they haven't experienced this kind of love and security from a father. Even talking about somebody being fatherly, it might touch a, a sore spot in you. Maybe your father was distant. Maybe he was cold. Maybe he was untrustworthy. Here today, gone tomorrow. Completely absent or even abusive. And I'm so sorry if you've, if you've been through that. Sin is awful. Sin is destructive. Um, and that's why we all so desperately long for the favor of an everlasting father. Someone we, we can bank on and trust in. This is what Isaiah promises to people who are, who are longing for this. This kingly father who is coming for you is attentive to you. He knows you. He knows your name. He'll never leave you. Now, this, this kind of attentive focus isn't something we always want from a ruler or someone high up in government. I got a notice recently from the Canadian Revenue Agency. Like, I got the news that somebody high up in the government knows me. They know my name. They know my personal financial history. But I wasn't flattered. You know, I, wasn't, I wasn't glad that I had received this specific attention and favor. Uh, I would rather be ignored, frankly, than known at that level of government. Some people feel that way with God. 
God, I'd actually rather not have your attention. I've got things in my life I'm, I'm not too proud of. I don't want you to see. I know, I know I'm doing wrong. I've got guilt and shame. I don't know how to deal with it. And so I'd rather you just look away. I don't want your attention right now. Adam and Eve hid in the garden after they had sinned. And we think that's a pretty, pretty strong strategy for us too. But this is, the, this is the very reason, this is the precise reason why we need God's fatherly attention and favor. It's because we desperately need freedom from our darkness and sin, the things that make us want to hide from him. And so this brings us naturally into our next point. Not only does Jesus, the coming king, show us everlasting favor as the everlasting father, Jesus offers everlasting freedom. He offers everlasting freedom. In Isaiah 9, the results of Jesus' fatherly favor is seen in verses 2 through 5. If you look at verses 2 through 5, I'll just kind of run through it. We see that Jesus' attention on us doesn't bring us into further darkness, doesn't bring a taxation policy on us or, or take money from our wallets. It doesn't bring more shame or guilt, but his attention brings freedom. We read that in John 3, right? That, that the light has come into the world to set us free. In verses 2 through 5, we see that he has come to give light to those in darkness, joy to those who are in sorrow, to relieve the burden of the oppressed, to give peace to those who have been ravaged by war and conflict. The king offers everlasting freedom to his children who desperately long for it. Jesus' promise to us is, is a permanent, sure freedom from internal darkness and external oppression. And this is because he's a good father. This is what good fathers do. They hate to see when their children are walking in sin or being harmed by others. And listen, this is the kind of father who's willing to do whatever it takes to go to every extreme, to go to unbelievable lengths to secure freedom for his kids. Um, the, the movie Taken, I don't know if anyone ever, ever, has ever seen it. It's kind of a, a mindless action movie. Uh, but it, it's about a father, a father named Brian Mills, who receives a call one day from his daughter who's in, in the middle of being kidnapped. And he has a brief, threatening, uh, it's quite memorable conversation with one of the kidnappers. Uh, what they don't realize about Brian, the, other, the guy on the other side of the phone, is that he's an ex-Green Beret. He's a CIA agent who, he says, through a very long career, has acquired a very particular set of skills. And if they don't let his daughter go right now, he'll look for them, he'll find them, and that will be very bad for them. And the rest of the movie is, follows Brian uh, doing insane things until he finally rescues his daughter. Why does Brian Mills go to such lengths? What's his motivation? Is it obligation? Is it a sense of duty? Is it boredom? No. It's, it's love. He will fight tooth and nail, do whatever it takes to win his daughter's freedom. And as everlasting father, Jesus isn't indifferent to your pain, your suffering, your sin. No, he goes to extreme lengths, more extreme lengths than Mr. Mills, to deal with your sin. He fights for your freedom because he's compassionate towards us as he is to children, to his own children. This is what Psalm 103 says. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It's, it's important to note that in the outline, I use the word offer. Jesus offers everlasting freedom. And I, I use that word intentionally. Internal freedom and external freedom from Jesus are gifts 
that must be received. They're offered to us, but not everybody takes that offer. There are many who just flatly reject Christ. They don't want anything to do with him. That's fantasy stuff. You know, that's not for me. Such a rejection, you have to understand, is not just rejecting Christ, but it's rejecting the only possibility of freedom. That's what we read in our first reading in John 3, right? This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It's not uncommon in our day and in the past for people to reject their leaders, to have a, to have a new ruler, a new king come, and they, and they utterly reject them. This can take the form of, of insurrections and assassinations and coups, or it could just take a milder form of, I don't want to live with any kind of reference to you whatsoever. This is the shock of the story of Jesus. When the promised king was finally born, walked among us, spoke these words of favor and freedom to his people, what happened? He was despised and he was rejected as king. Jesus, the everlasting father, was crucified. He was killed on his rescue mission to win freedom for his own people. But in, in an, another amazing turn of events, we learned that Christ's crucifixion wasn't a cosmic tragedy, but it was his very rescue plan. To bring rebels back to himself, Christ would bear on himself the punishment due rebels. To give us freedom, Jesus would take on our oppression. To give us peace, peace would be removed from him. In order to save us from death, our king would take our death, our death for us. And this, this remarkable good news, this freedom and peace being offered to us, to all of us who have rejected him, this good news must be received. It, it has to be believed in order to have its effect on us. Earlier in his gospel, before chapter 3, in, in chapter 1, John wrote this, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the, the most important question for people at Christmas or at any other time, the question for humanity in general, and, and you in particular, is have you received Jesus as your king? Do you believe that he is your only hope? for everlasting freedom? Are you instead actively denying, rejecting, and living without reference to him and his rule? Are you rejecting him and the freedom he brings? Because this, this is the invitation today. You are being invited to receive this offer of freedom, to be free from shame and guilt in him, to be free from God's wrath against sin. But listen, it's only available if you receive Christ himself. Listen, this is, this is the good news. No one's too far gone that the king won't receive him back. Every rebel who receives Christ receives his freedom. So come, don't wait. Let's recap. The promised everlasting father shows us everlasting favor, offers us everlasting freedom, and finally, he brings us into his everlasting family. The title Everlasting Father should cue us that although Christ is indeed the mighty God, the great King of kings and Lord of lords, being his children means we are a part of his family. Uh, last week uh, in his sermon, Ben showed us that the meaning of mighty God, the previous title, it has some heroic undertones to it. So, so like, like a superhero, this king comes to rescue his people. 
And ultimately, that means laying down his own life for them. But, but this is a king, this is a hero, unlike Batman or Spider-Man, who, who swings into the rescue because uh, this hero is our father. He's with us forever. Superman, you know, he can lift your car off the train tracks, you know, toss it to the side, give you a wink and a nod, and then fly off because he's, he's, he's got something else to do. You know, all in a day's work, but I'll see you later. There is no time where Superman, oh, yeah, I'll come in, I'll, I'll have dinner with you. Like, let me stay and build a relationship. I mean, he's too busy for that. He's not that kind of hero. His talents are needed elsewhere. But our hero, listen, our hero is dad. He's family. He's not going anywhere. And this is good news for us, too. I don't know if you know it, but there's actually more than one Taken movie. There are three Taken movies. Brian Mills' family, it seems, cannot stop getting kidnapped over and over again. And so it's a very good thing for them that their hero is dad. He's not going anywhere. He's, he is with them and he is for them. And for many of us, our faith sometimes feels like uh, two steps forward, one step back. We're filled with a sense of shame and guilt and sin again and again. And our everlasting Father, you need to hear this, He does not tire of helping us. He does not cease to be Father to you when you mess up again and again. And then for the sequel, again. He'll keep showing His favor and blessing, uh, uh, blessing to you, continue to give you freedom forever because he's a father to you and he brings you into his everlasting family connected with this idea is that in the church we're given not just people to share a row with uh, on sundays but we're given brothers and sisters this is the family that god is giving to you and, and if you look around this room this might be kind of like a good news bad news scenario for you <laughs> this is family this is forever <laughs> the, the people you see around you right now who are following Christ with you will be your family into eternity. Again, this, this king and this kingdom, his peace and his justice and righteousness, it's been established, Isaiah says. It will increase from this time forth and forevermore. And perhaps this is one of the hardest parts of receiving Christ. Maybe this is the hardest part for you today. It means that becoming a Christian uh, is more than an intellectual commitment. Uh, giving yourself to the life of faith demands that you become like a little child. This is what it asks of you. It requires very proud, very independent, educated Canadians like you to come to God humbly as Father, to admit that you need a Father. You need a family who will care for you. You need to admit that you are deeply limited, spiritually, morally, intellectually. You do not have what it takes on your own. It's not through a rugged, self-made independence that you will, you will grow and mature and become the kind of person that God has made you to be. Only in being brought into an everlasting family will you receive what you most deeply need. We can't do faith on our own. We need our Father. We need our family, and it is his delight to bring us into an everlasting family. Let's finish our, our, our time in the text with this. Like God's people in Isaiah's day, when, when we suffer, when we're troubled uh, with internal sin, external realities, suffering, we can't help but ask the very deep question, does God care? Will God finally act? 
and help me? Or has he abandoned me? Is God for me or has he moved on? Friends, we remember in this Advent time that God has sent Christ to us as an everlasting father. His love does not end. His care for you will last into eternity. Christ has come to show us everlasting favor, offer us everlasting freedom, bring us into his everlasting family. Will you trust his promises now more than what your eyes can see? Will you trust that God's promises to you are more powerful than the darkness that surrounds you right now? You have an everlasting father who offers life and light to those who are surrounded only by death and darkness. This is the promise of Isaiah. Listen to it now. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name is Everlasting Father. Now may you, may you celebrate that Emmanuel, God with us, has been born. May you find hope in knowing that he has been born to you as Everlasting Father. May you rest in and rejoice in the everlasting favor he shows. May you find peace, forgiveness, and restoration in the everlasting freedom he offers. And may you be humbled so that with childlike faith you can be welcomed into his everlasting family.